Alright, let's go. Alright. You know what it takes to be a cook in LA? Self-sacrifice. Forced a lot of hospitality workers to leave their jobs while exposing the terrible working conditions so often tied to the restaurant industry. And cooking is a cute job, eh? Like mommy in the kitchen. Well, mommy never had to face the dinner rush with the orders come flooding in and every dish is different and not as simple at all of the different cooking times, but must arrive on the customer's table at exactly the same time, hot and chocolate. Every second counts and you cannot be mommy. I transferred my passion for anatomy into the culinary arts. It's minds instead of bodies. From low wages to long hours, our next guest says it's time to hit reset. How many women do you see in this kitchen? Well, I... I <laughs> Only me. Why do you think that is? Well, I... Because hot cuisine is an antiquated hierarchy built upon rules written by stupid old men. Rules designed to make it impossible for women to enter this world. But still I'm here. How did this happen? <laughs> because, well, because you... Because I am the dumbest cook in this kitchen. I worked too hard for too long to get here, and I am not going to jeopardize it for some garbage boy who got lucky. Got it? Good morning, good evening, and good afternoon. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Vida y Vino presented. By Bro Taste This, where we break down food, wine news, and our childhood trauma. I am one of your hosts, Luis Pablo, and joined with me today we have Juan Legend and Philip Golden Corral. Gentlemen, my heart rate is at 81. What's yours, Phil? If you had to guess, 69. Steady. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> Lance Armstrong would be jealous steady, of you. Steady, exactly. steady, sixty nine. Lance would be jealous. What's of yours, at Juan? Oh, oh, dude, I had like fucking three Twinkies today, so like a solid one thirty <laughs> over like ninety. That's your cholesterol. What about your heart rate? Yeah. Oh, that. You don't know what heartbeats are. If if idiot. I got that shit mixed up, do you think I should be guessing my heart rate right now? I would guess probably the, in the eighties or nineties. Yeah, I was say the the average is eighty. If it's like uh, no, nah, I had twi- 90, three Twinkies today though. Three bump Twinkies. That shit, bump that shit up twenty percent. That's at a ninety maybe. There you go. Damn boy, three Twinkies. What made you say yes after the second one? Were they special flavor? Uh, or regular ass y- flavor? Y- you know what? It was just like the the nihilism in you. You know, like why not? Yeah, because yeah, like, why not? You had to convince yourself to eat the first one. Yeah, and you're already that far in. Like, yeah, just like, commit. Oh, fuck it. Just commit. And then you're like, ah, oh, no, I'm, I don't want to be bad. I already had one. And then you have that second one, and you're like, oh, ah, fucking yeah. bets you, are you, you off. Know, you already opened the gates. All <laughs> <laughs> oh, bets are off, boy. Maybe what about things, you, bud? Maybe things will be better after the third one. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the first one didn't work. The second one didn't My work. My cellulite will look better with one more Twinkie in it. <laughs> It's the Goldilocks and the three bears. After the throne, you're like, fuck it. This one's too fat. This one's too plastic. This one's going to kill like, me. I'm fat anyway. <laughs> what does it me. matter? Uh, what about you, Adonis? I uh, I had a cup of black coffee today. Coffee? And that's all I've had to eat. Beautiful. I'm on a pretty pretty strict diet. Beautiful. Just okay. black coffee, no creamer, no sugar, nothing. That's awesome. Which TikTok influencer convinced you to do that? Uh, JPG Coaching. Beautiful. He's You're like, going to have to send me to his link. Do you want to be fucking optimal, bro? Is he like David Goggins? No, he's not like David no. Goggins. He's just some Asian dude who is like uh, revolutionizing kids on TikTok to oh. be optimal, bro. 
And like he's got people doing these like weird workouts. And whoa, whoa, chill, chill, kids. That sounds like grooming. Weird workouts. This Asian boy. Yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah. Whoa, Maybe chill, I should watch chill, out for what I'm, who I'm following pause, on the tag. Pause. What about you, Phil? What uh, pause. what weird TikTok lane did you go down this week? Uh, this why I'm not really on TikTok that much, but I've been getting into uh, I guess uh, Joe Biden memes now. <laughs> did you know this whole Let's Go now? Brandon? Now, did you know did that? You guys, have you guys heard of this? Let's go, Brandon. <laughs> Dude, I was like, who's this Brandon guy? God, <laughs> I'm not familiar with it. What's his know? last name? Let's go, Brandon. Do you care to explain? Uh, I believe uh, Brand- Brandon Schaub is a comedian. Oh my god, cut this <laughs> shit. You know, you know how angry I was when I was listening to you try to explain that to Juan, bro. A useless fucking topic. And oh, like, the, oh yeah. Like Bobby Juan said, Lee. I know these people and I don't care. Bro. Right? I that touched my soul when you said that, Juan. Thank you. Thank Who you. the fuck cares? I shit yeah. my god. We do man. not care. That's like celebrity culture. That's like talking to me about Kim Kardashian. Like I, I give two shits. <laughs> like I do. Like like if you talk to me about Kim Kardashian, like Kanye, like all of them, they're all like comic book characters to me. They're oh, literally yeah. just like like they're humans, of course. I wish them the best. But <laughs> their their problems are so like beyond the realm of yeah beyond the yeah exactly like if they wanted to like they're a few therapy sessions away from like being normal humans like yeah it, it, if, like, they, if wanted they wanted to. it to like mm-hmm. but but at this point like I don't know like maybe they got some tra- unresolved trauma or some shit Something. like bro but Kim Kardashian it, who is gives a, lawyer. a fuck you know like who gives a fuck Kim my Ka- point. Kim Kardashian went to the White House and met with Donald Trump and was like, "Yeah, I know, I know a way I to know. reform I'm, prisons." I'm, I'm firmly aware of her uh, movement and like law and like social justice. Speaking and of comic book characters and social justice, ooh. What's on your plate? This week we saw The Boys, comic book characters, where they actually reference Kendall's Pepsi ad campaign. Did you notice that? I did not. That, are you so caught up with all the episodes? No, homie. No, I'm, are you fo- I'm caught up with 20 minutes. Oh, the first 20 <laughs> minutes are easily the best. Yeah. I, uh, I Because there's four seasons now, right? There's I, three yeah. seasons. Three seasons? Yeah, this I, is the third season. Well, I got, I got sidestepped when I got to the bar where like... Homelander's getting breastfed. And I was like, all right. I'm that's, a, I'm, that's like in the first season. Yeah, I'm going to stop there. This is all I needed to see. <laughs> He's like, this is a little too nice. This of all the stuff that you've seen, that's what put you off? Bro, He not putting him off. You mean put him on. <laughs> oh, what? Dude, he saw this that shit and all you hear is zip. <laughs> Bro. He's like, damn, man. It's hard to watch this. I was this and totally not put off. off. It's a disgrace to the church. It's a disgrace to human nature. Okay. Every other. That's for babies. It's not for humans. I don't want to say the stuff that you were saying before the episode. What's on your plate? Because I don't want to get us canceled, but <laughs> that's where plate? you draw the line. Mm-hmm. That's where you... Okay. Fucking liar. Well, I, point I don't is, buy it. But but, but the, uh, the, it's, uh, then the third season right now, and like the trailer yeah. looks great. Well, I saw all four episodes so far, and Juan saw the first 20 minutes and was very disturbed. Yeah, I, I've loved season one through two so mm-hmm. like i plan on watching the show but like i'm not a binger i, I get to it when i get to it kind of yeah thing. that's fine. um mm-hmm. and i but i did see like the first half of the first episode 
and I saw the interactions between an Ant Man like character and a his lover. And I don't want to yeah. spoil it too much, but Luis, I'll I'll let you go into a few of those details with that story. I don't want to spoil it, but Luis, you can spoil it. Go on now. <laughs> I mean, was, whatever, like <laughs> yeah. whatever details are appropriate, you know. So there was a big theory that was very popular among comic book fans that towards Avengers Endgame in 2018, I believe, that Ant Man was going to shrink down in size and crawl up Thanos's butt, and then get big again like he's done in the movies and essentially explode Thanos from the inside out. Dude, that ass, I remember that. Because like after the uh, Affinity War, they're like, how are they going to kill Thanos? So, like, there was a petition for it and everything. And get let's just Ant-Man say, in there. And, you know, including Sean Evans from uh, Hot Ones had Paul Rudd on the show. And he also asked him that question. And Paul Rudd said, oh, I think it was an opportunity not taken. Well... It's pretty gruesome and it's pretty graphic, but the first five to ten minutes of the new season, uh, they explore that idea in very graphic detail. And but, but it's even like a twist because twist. He's, not, he's not going in through the butthole. No. He's going in through the peen. Yeah, exactly. It is pretty fucking... It is pretty graphic. Yeah. Very graphic, One, and and the guy is very much like enjoying it. He's yeah. like doing this as a sexual act. Wait, at wait, first to his partner, right? Yes, yes. yes. Oh no! I like how happy we both said yes. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty. God. It's pretty graphic. It's pretty gruesome. Very gruesome. You see all. You see a lot of gore. Mm-hmm. Gore. Talking about sick celebrity shit and like shoving people up your butt. You guys hear the rumor of what's his face? Uh, the guy that left Scientology, and then he had like a rumor of like shoving a gerbil up his ass. Yes, I have heard the rumor. Yeah, yeah, Richard Greer. I think it's Richard, Richard Greer. Yeah, Rich, yeah, yeah. I'm not Richard sure Greer. Yeah, I'm he's not a sure. guy from uh, Pretty Woman. He's the one that saves Kay. Julia Roberts. Go on. Right? And when he left Scientology, a bunch of newspapers outlets picked up like he likes shoving gerbils up his ass. Yeah. And the way the story came out was like, oh, Richard Greer was admitted to a hospital in Florida. For like <laughs> surgery, because like a gerbil tears asshole apart. Yeah, Richard Gere Eesh. is his name. Yeah. Um, however, it's not true. It's not no, true. no, that well, story. Of was course, because Scientology, like, but that's a different story. Oh, Scientology. That's a different, oh that was yeah. just like it was just a big story that they played. Piece. And I, yeah. I, I'm glad that the boys play homage. I'm to glad the you presented Ant-Man it as semi-realistic. It doesn't fill you that to anything. Hey, do you want to hear this crazy fact, bro? Who's your source? Juan, what was on your plate this week? Um, this you, week, you want to tell us about your cousin from Mexico? Sure. Yeah. Uh, well that happened last week, but I want to give him a shout out. I have a cousin in Mexico who's named Isaac, um, nicknamed Stitch Ramos. Mm-hmm. He's not shoving gerbils up his butt, is he? He is not doing that since no, he's a hundred percent not doing that. Shout out Isaac. Um, What's up, Isaac? This particular kid, the reason why I wanted to give him a shout out and I kind of want to use him as an example of, uh, um, trailblazers. Uh, was because this kid was a uh, like somebody who I just started like meeting who he is and uh, you know his real self. Uh, this last trip I went back, and he was this kid who like the whole family kind of like realized oh he's going down like some bad roads like he's dropping out of school, he's into drugs. All he does is like skateboard all the time, and like unbeknownst to like everybody I guess like he was extremely talented with his skateboarding. And last week he placed fourth in the whole, like, I guess, um, national skateboarding competition in Mexico. He had placed first in his state, and then he he went on to the national competition and placed fourth. 
So I want to give him a shout out. And like I said, it was just like one of those examples of like, like never judge a book by its cover sort of thing. You know, like you, ne- you truly never know what's like under the hood of somebody. Um, and I like, I remember when I first saw that shit on social media, I was just like a little bit taken back, you know, like this kid who's like doing this shit <laughs> is going down. This path is over here. Like being the Mexican Tony Hawk, like that shit is a, a little bit surprising, you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that was shit. Was that's was an on extreme my life right there? Yeah, yeah. That's an X Games life right there, doggy. That's, that's that Pathfinder like Hollywood X star Games. life, dude. Like, Woo. shout out, shout out, Isaac. Shout out, Isaac. You know, honestly, if he keeps going this way, he's gonna become like, an amazing youth pastor. He's gonna <laughs> skateboard around, tell people about Christ and like Tosito. <laughs> Dude, he, he's great. All he does is skateboard and write raps. <laughs> like, <laughs> dude. Yes. He's like, the actual P-Rod. Yeah, like, I mean, you could not write, like, a supposedly worst example to follow. <laughs> and this guy does not go to school. He's now signing back up after winning his competition. But, um, like, for the last year and a half, he hadn't been. And yeah, now yeah. that he's sponsored by Trasher, he's going back yeah, to school. Yeah, he, he has get, uh, <laughs> gathered some sponsors, yeah. The Mexican Trasher or whatever? Um, Just some skateboarding brands. I don't even That's know what sick. they're named. Good for him, man. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, Phil, you have anything to add, or should we uh, move on to the rhubarb cocktail? For my plate thing? Any, what's on your plate? Anything yeah, what's you on ran your plate? into this week? Uh, last week, we were talking about the uh, Deshaun Watson case. And oh, like yeah. The uh, little happy endings and... Mm-hmm. Sexual assault, honestly. <laughs> well, I don't know why I laughed at that, but uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, but no, the the, the, the a little dispos- dry snitching there. The disposition came out, and the uh, the one of the ladies, because like a lot of most of these. Okay, hold on. Let me find the best way to talk about this. Uh, there's a lady that went back like five different times, right? Okay. You know, and like she was talking about the details and like how like his voice and his attitude. His demeanor changed. Like, Ugh. he like turned over and like t- instructed them how to like touch him. Mm-hmm. And like uh, she was, she was talking in in the disposition about like how he would like put himself in a baby position and like play with his taint. Like change my die die position. Yeah. But Literally, he, like on he, his back he, and like. But he was asking the girls to do that, right? Yeah, the girls that he paid originally for like massages yeah. and like. Yeah, but and that, like, that shit was in the deposition, dog. Yeah. And the thing I like bad. Let me get that clear. <laughs> bad, right? We do not approve. Do Thumbs not approve. Down. But like some of these ladies came back like three to four times. Like yeah. well, if he did it the first two times, don't you think he would have done it the third time? Yeah, I don't think this home I don't think homeboy's changing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, good point. Yeah. Fool man, fool shame, you know. Uh shaming once, fooling you, shaming twice. Won't get fooled again. Did I say that wrong? I'm Fool. sure you did, yeah. but but we know what you were going for. Whatever Bush said. Yeah. That is a horrible way to end that time. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Wait, you don't like some like picturing somebody oh playing with your tank? The fact that he he like painted such a perfect picture on he was <laughs> laying like a baby and playing with it like oh my goodness. His voice and his demeanor change. Uh, Play with my taint. Like, do you think he got deeper? Like, hey. How about you? Smooth me over. You're painting a pretty good picture. Sounds like uh, sounds like maybe this is experience right here. What do you do every <laughs> Sunday night during the NFL season? <laughs> well, wait a minute. Do you go by Deshaun Jackson? Is he picked up by the Eagles yet? No, no, no. Uh, he of course Philly would fucking go for him. Funny enough, actually, 
um, before some of these details were made public, but after a lot of them were public, he got signed to the largest, friendliest deal in NFL history, where he got paid like a hundred and something million dollars are locked in, no matter if he goes to jail or something. Maybe not jail, but like. Probably like they, they're, like they're, he could be suspended for a long amount of time, and he was only supposed to lose like single digit millions while gaining a hundred million. God, he got, like his damn. his agent is being given praise all over the NFL media right now for like getting him this deal, getting him this deal, getting the best deal of all time, even while knowing that this could be a possibility. Uh, and the Browns gave up on, um, funny enough, like their. St- most successful quarterback of the last 40 years um before this this guy it's in order to get this guy because he's seen as like a a step up you know what i mean like the last guy who was really successful for the browns yeah um uh baker mayfield was only like a b plus level quarterback and this guy's like an a level quarterback you know what i mean Deshaun Watson. yeah so so even like they oh, basically like so they kind of fucked themselves they fucked themselves pretty good here like and if this guy oh, gets suspended God. a year or two maybe like goes to jail four or five then that's all that money just down the drain yeah who knows damn he's got good morning Thank you, Phil. Wow. Okay. Great wrap up to that <laughs> subject. Yep. Mm-hmm. You guys really. Oh my god. I'm such. A, I'm in such a downer after that. <laughs> oh my god. That's horrible, man. All right. Let's talk about a uh, rhubarb cocktail that uh, Juan Legend whipped up. That yep. we're gonna see a clip of later. That's right. Clip. Oh, yeah, yeah. We yeah, have later, a clip later and some pictures as well. Yeah, hey, uh, Jamie, roll that clip real quick. That's right. Um. Yeah, so speaking of the rhubarb cocktail, which we are calling the rhubarbosa. Maybe. Uh, I am potentially saving my last name. I feel like like putting my last name on a drink should be like something you don't hand out loosely. Fair enough. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So whatever we name this cocktail. uh, I actually have a name for it. Walk us through it. Yeah, it's a rhubarb Campari sour made with gin. Uh, it's as simple as that. The name is in the ingredients. Um, but I'll walk you through it. Um, this being strawberry season and rhubarb season, I have some strawberries and rhubarb growing in my garden. So I picked it and I made a rhubarb syrup. Um, I made a rhubarb syrup. I uh, used that rhubarb syrup with gin, lemon juice, and egg white. And I believe that's it, right? Oh, and bitters. Uh, yeah. Pay showed's bitters. Um, I give it a dry shake so that you whip up the egg white. Yeah. And then you add the ice after that. Uh, shake it again. Strain into your cocktail glass. And you get this beautiful um, pink and red uh, drink that is just delicious. I also forgot that I added some Campari to that recipe as well. No, you, um, you mentioned Campari. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, On the but, top of it, yeah. But yeah, uh, and, and that drink, uh, you tell us, Phil. Phil, tell, um, walk us through This being a new cocktail to you, what did you taste? It was delicious. First off, the color. The color of it was really vibrant. Mm-hmm. Like this nice pink, like it looked like pink lemonade. Yeah, almost like a pink panther pink. Mm-hmm. And then he added a blood orange for like a garnish. So the citrus from the blood orange like combined well with the Capri CZ. The Campari. Yeah. The Campari, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the yeah the Campari. Yes. Uh, what would you call it though? Like maybe like a rhubarb me long yeah. time. Yeah. 
rhubarb me long time. Mm-hmm. Yes, rhubarb me long time. Rhubarb me long time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, rube, rhubarb Campari sour. That's kind of yeah. what I was thinking. What um, would you uh, enjoy this cocktail for? What occasion exactly? What occasion? Honestly, this this is a kind of just cocktail. a classic summer cocktail. Yeah, this oh, is yeah. a classic summer cocktail, in my opinion. Um, mm-hmm. Gin is is you know drinkable at all times of the year, but rhubarb is only available at this time of the year. So, in my opinion, this is very much like a seasonal cocktail. Like, if you have some rhubarb in your kitchen, you don't know what to do with. If you have some rhubarb in your garden, you know what to do with. Make a quick, simple syrup. Um, use that with you know like rhubarb gin and like or rhubarb syrup some gin and some soda water you know that's a cocktail right there like you can do infinite things with that syrup and this happens to be one a really fun cocktail to Mm -hmm. incorporate it into if you're going through a divorce or a loss in your life fuck yeah drink like five make yourself a rhubarb (laughs) be long time fuck yeah the bright make colors will, five. The bright <laughs> colors will make you happy. And then just a heads up, folks, uh, we're gonna put out a few strawberry rhubarb um, cocktails in the next week. I also have. A, I'm gonna give y'all the podcast listeners a preview. What I was telling Phil um, in the business Ooh. is known as a jam sour. Um, mm. This is one of the easiest cocktails you'll ever know in your life. For all my aspiring mixologists out there, it's like 1.5 ounces of gin. A large spoonful of your favorite jam or jelly. That could be blackberry, peaches, uh, strawberry. I'm going to be using strawberry rhubarb um, and, because it's in season. And uh, lemon juice. So you shake your jelly, lemon juice, and your gin all with ice in your shaker. And you strain it out. And you Ooh. essentially have a beautiful uh. fruit sour. You can incorporate whatever jelly you want. Peach gooseberries any uh. ra- figs any random fruit that like maybe not in season a long time like yeah. it's probably gonna stay in season in the jelly form you know yeah exactly yeah so it's a really fun cocktail that i low-key i learned from uh my much more um social media savvy fiance uh alandra she taught me that one because she learned it on tiktok interesting and i last saw it get adapted to the me- uh menu on uh, maxwell like it was, it was, I don't know. It kind of made me realize that shit like that, even though it seems simple to us, it can be, you know, elevated. Yeah. Sometimes it could be exploited. What now For that we profit. Yeah. Now that we, uh, have spent so much time and effort and money on like drinks specifically, it takes a little bit more to wow me when I have something. Yeah. Like, I need some, like, weird ingredient in there to be, yeah. like, ooh. Otherwise, just give me something. Either give me something really simple or give me something that I'm, like, oh, shit. I've never heard of that. Yeah. Like, give me, like, a gin and tonic, mm-hmm. a tequila on the rocks, or give me something that's, like, like that jam sour. Like, bro, you're shaking jelly? Yes. Like, fuck, yeah. Let's exactly. do it. It's actually really good. It, funny enough, I used to do that as a kid with coffee. Not the same outcome. Like, the little. You would What? You know, you, the little like marmalades. And the oh, little, like, like when you go out to a diner. Yeah, they got a bunch of. And those. you would just put jelly in your coffee. into my coffee, <laughs> like jelly or grape or apricot. When people marmalade. when people ask, how would you describe Phil? I think explaining to them that you put marmalade in your coffee <laughs> is probably the best synapse. Just like have you, you know, have you ever like why would somebody do that like? Exactly. Phil did it. Well, when I showed people, they're like, oh, is that good? No. 
No, just just doing it for funsies. <laughs> just doing it for fun. What are these times, man? What are these times oh, gonna yeah. work? Beautiful. You know, you know what's funny is the third time you're like, this one's it. <laughs> maybe I gotta use grape this time. <laughs> maybe marmalade will come through. Oh, oh my god, that's really funny. All right, uh, we're gonna take a quick break and then we'll come back to talk about. The Next Supper, a book written by uh, Corey Mintz. Corey Mintz. Corey Mintz. Uh, and the future of restaurants after 2020. Welcome back, bitch. I'm back. We are. Ooh, that's a silky voice. And better than ever. Keep going. No, not commit. I'm black. Wait, I'm back. Just what was that second line? <laughs> I'm back. You want to finish that? I'm better than ever. That's uh, Vince McMahon's theme song. Is it? Yeah. Shout out, Vince. Would not have guessed. I would have not have guessed that either. This week on Vida y Vino, we are breaking down a t- subject that I'm very, uh, that I take very personally. And Juan, I believe you feel the same way, which is food and restaurants and labor cost and social awareness the first two things you got me then you got the labor cost it's like i'm 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 out of here phil's a hard believer in no tipping he's the kind of he's the kind of asshole and he's talked about on the podcast before he would leave actual change like if my friends were here like you probably see me out and going out to eat in my early days yeah back in my hooter days Leaving like loose change for like these. Yeah, that's horrible. You piece of fucking shit. Fucking asshole. You trash. But you know, once I got into the industry of the hospitality, and you realize that's how we make our money. Uh, Yeah, we read a book. uh, Well, I read half of it. Listened to the other half on audio. You both did the full audio book. The next supper and the. Does that still count as reading the book though? No. No. You just listened to a longer podcast. But didn't you read the words in your mind? What? Think about it. He is like illustrated and you got to like nah, read the, the picture in your head. I think you still retain the information pretty well, but I definitely think that there's a big difference between not physical in like, hard copy. it doesn't yeah. make you better in, or worse either way. But mm-hmm. I think that, I mean, it, it, it does take a big difference between one or the other because if you're reading, it requires a hundred. I'm digressing. It doesn't fucking matter. <laughs> Point is, we talked about a book and we're going to talk about a few points that uh, each of us hit home with the most yeah it was a, no overall it's a good book though i mean like you know it is a long it's a, hey, mm-hmm. phil you you already told us how you really feel you don't have to fluff it up for the crowd no he did he, so yeah. he has his opinions and i just want to get general thoughts and feelings before we get into it um it's a very long book even though it's only eight chapters each chapter is about an hour and a half of actual reading and audio and, and that's the best part because like each chapter is like lengthy reporting of that subject yeah. so like agreed that's why it's like a long book because it's like and documents at the end he went Witnesses. into how the the book was formed and he essentially like put together like a series of articles on each subject that was like you know all patched together by his editors into like a, a book format so that mm-hmm. makes sense like he did a few articles on virtual restaurants a few articles on immigrant restaurants and he put them all together and that's that's how he got his book. At, yeah. at, at face value, it may seem like it's just a simple, like you know, food reporting book, but like deep, like it's a journalist book. It's Dude, like it a, is it is mm-hmm. deep, especially like 
there was the second half of the book I felt like was really informative. And I thought it was re- like it was difficult for me to pay attention. And I love this shit, but I would not recommend it to like somebody who's like, oh, I kind of like restaurants. And I, like you have to really give a shit about this in order yeah. to read it and enjoy it. Uh, just to quickly tell people the eight chapters that, you know, like Juan and Phil just said perfectly that really journalistic diving. Uh, one through eight in order is the virtual restaurant, the chef driven restaurant, the instabate meal, the immigrant restaurant, the fast food restaurant, a.k.a. the QSR, which is a quick service restaurant, the chain restaurant, the grocery rent, which is restaurants inside of grocery stores and the virtuous restaurant, which is restaurants that are woke in terms of food yeah. and labor. Um, but that's a good with, way to put it. With that being said, uh, Juan, I want to he- I would love to hear your breakdown of the book quickly and then i want to hear phil's and then we can get into some main topics you mind if we start with phil i don't mind at all like first off let me paraphrase for the viewers that like it's a you know it's a good book uh for journalistic purposes and like food and culture and like getting to know like the unethical side of it but if you're not a big fan of canadians this is gonna be a hard listen that's why i recommend reading the book because this canadian guy bahungba yeah, you were telling us you a little bit. This guy accent. sucks. This guy sucks. <laughs> there we dude. go. There we go. Tell us uh, how you really oh feel. Oh my god. Okay, tell us. What is it that sucks so, about like, him? So okay, so for the first like four chapters, it's just heavy. Like, by the way, the restaurant business very unfair. If you're white, you gotta make a lot more than your peers. But remember, I'm also profiting from this because my hard work does that too. I'm Corey Mintz. Okay. But then, like, I get into it, and like, oh, like, yeah, there's slave trade up in Canada with tomatoes, and, yeah. like, you know, that's a very big issue that nobody talks about. See, I didn't I didn't catch that part when you talk about the yeah, unethical, slave trade. And dude, they, they were getting tomatoes thrown at them. I thought, Buckets. <laughs> I thought Buckets um, of tomato thrown at the them. tomato slavery in the book came from Florida. Yeah, not Canada. What? Yeah, he's from Canada, but now the this. He, I thought the hot Asian lady was from uh, Florida. The How LA did Times? you even know she was hot? No, and she wasn't. Uh, who knows if she's hot or not? But she. Okay, so in <laughs> this guy just reads Asian lady, and he just reads in oh hot like geisha I, type. I believe it was in the immigrant. I, I think it was in debate meal because she no. was like the. Okay, point is there was a woman who was living in Toronto who was going to move to Florida. She is also a food. Uh, enthusiast restaurant owner but i don't know if she's hot and i don't know <laughs> she ha- she got pregnant and then she was gonna move closer to family hot <laughs> okay so your your main problems with the book i don't have were any things problems that were actually my, not true okay the main problems my, <laughs> my perspective is just the i had to put my ego aside and like damn this guy sucks you know but it's all a grift and like I, you know, I'm a bit of a grifter myself. Please take this liberal to my left, who is Juan, and tell him why yeah, he is wrong. Yeah, what was the grift? Yeah. The grift is the, uh, well, he, he, he explains it himself in well, the LA Times of the uh, the lady, the I think she's Asian too, a different Asian lady, not the hot one. But uh, some lady, she went for the uh, okay, you're gonna the go LA for Times food. fruit we were so, talking about okay. Oh, no, that was um, a Gane. She wasn't Asian. She was from uh, Amer- uh, Mexican descent, I believe. But a lady. A hot lady. You're imagining a lot of hot ladies in this book. And I don't hot know. Hot ethnic lady. Okay. But but she lost a job to a, a white male. Or like her, uh, she was not getting paid as much as her white male compatriot. 
But then didn't they both went for a promotion and she didn't get it? Correct. Yeah, because like no, she went up for a salary match. His his credentials is equal to more. Which I mean, like maybe it is. <laughs> I mean, yeah, maybe it is. Uh, yeah. Well, actually, they were saying that the Pulitzer Award goes to dom- dominantly white males win that award. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and then like dominantly guys- white males like win the Pulitzer Prize, but then you get in the rest of your business like dominantly white males get more in tips too. Y'all ever like, like look into like the origin of these prices or prizes? Like, I know that uh, the Michel- Pulitzer, the Peabody, all these like awards aren't named after like the most woke individuals. Are they all Nazis? Like not all of them, but uh, like they all have a lot of them have problematic histories. I know that. Mm-hmm. Well, everybody has some kind of problematic. Dr. Seuss made a couple, you know, not so uh, f- uh, what's the word flattering. You know, illustrations of Asian people yeah. back in the 1940s. Same with Bugs Bunny. All but right, so we, let's get back, get, back to the book. Completely sidetracked. Before we get yeah. sidetracked, right. uh, anything else that you want to say about the book before I, I put it in Juan's? Uh, it really puts it in perspective of like not just a restaurant business, but the whole trade, the distribution, and like the monopolization of it from like grocers and farmers market in like different like cultures in, in the world how they have a farmer's market a bazaar market you go out there yeah when I, I, was I picked in, up on that too when yeah. i was out in thailand most of my food was fresh Came the from market. the market yeah yeah, yeah. Mm. and like they don't have the same gmos or the same chemicals that we yeah. put into our foods same, in america uh, preservatives in it yep, yeah yeah so like the whole aspect of like you can't even have that in america because there's no viability you're just waiting to get bought out by like whole foods we're getting way bought out by Walmart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Somebody just suck you up. What about uh, Juan? What were your... See, that part was interesting. ...general opinions of the book before we get into some very yeah. specific topics? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I really enjoyed the book. I... I, I um, Even the audio part? Um, I mean, in particular, I love this style of book where it's like a macro view. It's like mm-hmm. a bird's eye lens. It's not just... Oh well, here's this waitress, and she fell in love with a chef, and here's a telenovela about it. Like I, I can't like puke more in my life than like to picture that. Like no, this is not at all what this is. A book is not about the characters. It is not a friendly read at all. This no. is not. Yeah, this book is not about the characters. Like this book is a hundred percent about like the data, like the, um, the wages. You know, like how the conditions of of the workers. Like, yeah, I I, I love this book in my opinion. How about you, Lewis? I also love this book. I think it has an awesome cover. Uh, we were actually, my fiance and I were at the library together and she noticed it on the new section. And so, you know, I grabbed it immediately and I was like, this will be a great book. I didn't even think about bringing it on the podcast in the beginning. I was just reading it and then I was just going to talk about the book itself. But I thought it was so interesting that I wanted both of you guys to read it. I am very, we have talked about labor laws, specifically in the restaurant industry. We've talked about labor laws in general. Um, This is a topic that I'm very passionate about because once you're in the restaurant industry for long enough, you realize like, oh, this is, we're all just getting fucked and no one's talking about it openly. Yeah. But also people are afraid to speak up and also afraid to leave. But specifically in 2020, which the book does get into, that was the final straw that broke the camel's back where people were like oh i don't have to go back because the restaurant is closed and will be closed for months i'm fucking leaving i'm gonna get into a completely different field i'm gonna start over and everyone had a fresh start uh from the restaurant industry and i did see a lot of people who were 
um, working at restaurants who are no longer working at the restaurants and also a little bit of vice versa, but mostly the first one where dude, I, I consider myself one of those people. Like, like that was like it. You're like, I yeah. don't have to go back and fuck this. Like I, I was a part of the restaurant industry, um, like a year before COVID started. And I was like, while COVID is still a thing, I was still like very much heavily thinking about it. Um, but D- during the beginning of covid like it was very much like a stay away sign you mm-hmm. know what i mean like yeah i stayed away for like a year and a half during covid like i didn't come on to like bartending again and for a good solid year and a half during that time yeah damn uh, the first like in the book like the first two chapters are like literally the tipping and like the chef driven restaurant and, like the mentality of like these guys don't have breaks like they take up smoking to get a break which is like i yeah. found very funny i guess like when yeah. I, was, I, yeah. I used to work in the same restaurant as you back That's in the That's where the three days, of us right? met, yeah. 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 Like, I, like, missed on the opportunity to become a smoker. That's what I... <laughs> you did out. miss out. Like, what the fuck? You missed out, homie. I could have uh, got an extra 15-minute break, so... You so missed out. I specifically wanted to talk about um, a lot of the stuff from Chapter 1 and 2, which... Mostly Chapter 2, which was uh, the chef-driven restaurant, which really talked about the mistreatment of workers and specifically the underpaying which it's that mentality that's like so common like you know like, yeah the mm-hmm. mentality and also the i guess the fact that even when someone leaves they're seen as weaker and they're seen as like uh why why would you leave like you're a pussy like you're not good enough to do these long hours like it's a sense of pride mm-hmm. that is crazy like um they were they were specifically saying that some of the best restaurants in the country have the worst treatment, like, yeah. Because they have these like tough margins and no room for error. That the turnover is so dang high that they just can't afford to keep anyone. And also, a lot of the workers there are either on minimum wage mm-hmm. or essentially free, like yeah. literally free. unpaid internships, um, essentially. Yeah. And what was the word that they stage. used? Stage. Stage. Yeah, the stage style. It's a French yep. or originates like in Europe. It's some it originates in like the medieval uh, times. It's like a servant no, like say? a surf. Yeah. That it that like its origins came from like the apprenticeship system and mm-hmm. in uh, medieval times and it was just like adopted to kitchens as well. Yeah, and that's something that I think needs to change in every restaurant now. I don't think you need this uh big loud chef yeah and the word chef is in quotes dude i like i have always hated that aspect of it mm -hmm. and it really became justified due to gordon ramsay's style but gordon ramsay was all about entertainment yeah Mm -hmm. and even then like gordon exactly like you said the gordon ramsay persona is different in the british tv show yeah yeah. like it's entirely it's tamed down times 10 like they like the tv uh producers um turn that shit up to 11 whenever they're producing it for us over here um but what i was gonna say um like even though i'm kind of like ratting a little bit out like some of the worst restaurant experiences that i've had bro were at that glorified olive garden we (laughs) used to work at yeah and just because of the chef personality there like like no particular like moment or incident moment or incident it was just like the general like the air gloom and doom of the persona that like how like how is this guy a leader dude like yeah i've never met such a nihilistic leader 
100%. Like, and somebody like who such like, a negative nihilistic leader like who's clearly like checked out like 5 years ago. And also and he's leading you guys? That yeah, is not, exactly. That is not uncommon. He runs have... that shit like a cafeteria too. Like <laughs> he does, bro. Like that shit like that food was not impressive. Like it was not. That is really funny. It, like, oh, we're having mashed potatoes and steamed vegetables. Oh, and you're going to keep it on a steam table? <laughs> Impressive. Impressive. That's what I had during, like, Thanksgiving at my cafeteria public school. Like, So, yeah, no, not not getting specific about... <laughs> I'm getting very specific. My, my personal experiences, but uh, I think this is just an issue I've seen at uh, multiple restaurants. Specifically, like... Throughout 2020 and 2021, I worked at four different restaurants just because, um, you know, I had to. I had to find some way to pay for shit. So I was making it work, and I noticed that it was a common trend among, you know, I've worked with many different chefs who call themselves chefs who haven't mm-hmm. earned the title. And I've worked with you know, a bunch of different kitchens and restaurants where I've seen the same fucking pattern each time where it's, just because you have the title of head chef does not mean that you are allowed to treat everybody else like shit. Like it's, it's completely undeserved. And the idea that you're allowed to get paid so much for sometimes putting in the least amount of work from the kitchen itself. And the whole, and it's like, like chill out, homie. We're still in mentality. suburban Wisconsin. Oh, we can't talk over each other. Oh, what were you saying? It's like the whole, the, it's a, my kitchen mentality. Like, you know. yeah, no, exactly. It's stupid. And I really think that people suffer too much at restaurants. I think it's a very enjoyable place to work. I think you're constantly meeting new people and you're essentially the star of somebody else's movie, you know, because yeah. people come in on their anniversary, on their birthday. Mm-hmm. And whether you're a bartender, you're a cook, you're a host or any, you know, the actual waiter who's bringing place to the table, like, you're all this big orchestra putting on a performance in order for everything to go right. And the best dinners are when you don't notice it. Are like, oh, yeah, the food was great. Everything was good. You only notice it yeah. when it was bad. Exactly. So it's this whole song and dance to like keep the illusion. The yeah. exactly. smoke and mirrors like up. So, cor- right? he, I'm pretty sure he described it in the book as a choreography. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like everything mm-hmm. is going right. Every like yeah. the customer is funnier than usual. Mm-hmm. You get asked for another drink, not as a pushover, but just like at the perfect time. So yeah, I, I just want to definitely talk about the second chapter specifically, spe- just because it, it talks about, how much people suffer for no fucking reason. And, you know, the service industry and the restaurant industry is the number one industry that ends up leading people to addiction yeah. because it's mm-hmm. so high stress. That stat was incredible. Like yeah. Jaw dropping. It's fucking crazy how people were. And he, he said like he didn't see anyone doing coke in a cooler or like fucking off work. But I have tried yeah. to open up a walk-in cooler and somebody <laughs> held the door closed and I'm like, oh, oh it's, it's that time of the on. night. It's that time of the night. I'm not going to go in there. I know it's going in there. Or, yeah, man, I saw a lot of people lose their lose themselves. <laughs> Bro, the bathroom died. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saw some nasty stuff go down. <laughs> Back when we were in the GI days, we had this dishwasher, this young kid that like took some of the liquor, got oh, drunk, yeah. and locked himself in the bathroom. And yeah. Anthony had like, or the... Our old cross. Yeah, I forgot about, I'm, I'm, I'm you forgot to, about that. I'm gonna have to beep that out. <laughs> yeah. no, wait, wait, wait. Beep this out. But what was his name? I forgot his oh, name. No, I forgot the. I, I'm talking about Anthony. I, I forgot the actual kids' names, but yeah. yeah. Uh, when we oh, were, yeah, when we were all working there, yeah. we found empty bottles of gin in the garbage, 
And they're like, where did this come from? And like the kid was acting suspicious. Like it was like all lining up. Like he was calling into work or he'd come in late. Like it was like, okay, clearly this wasn't happening before that kid showed up. Yeah. And again, the how easy it is to access drugs and alcohol because so many people in the industry are prone to it because you get out of work late. You're looking for something to just like take the edge off. Mm-hmm. And overall, man, I, it's horrible. Yeah. Like, it, it and again, there's no reason for it to. Like, it's a great industry to make money and meet people. And I mean, well, it's not, though. And what part of the book was that it's not a great industry to no, make money? It, well, it depends on what cities you go to because he does talk about, like, there's yeah. a different, big marginalized difference from, like, a New Yorker restaurant style living to, like, the Midwest diner. Yeah, yeah it, but the sad part is that, like, the majority of the like, country is that, like, Midwest style. Well, you know, even, yeah. Like, even, there's only one mm-hmm. New York, you know? Like, yeah. The rest of the country is much closer to the other end. True. No, that and is like you were just looking at the average salaries. The average salary of a hospitality in worker in Wisconsin is uh un- right under twenty five thousand dollars, which oh, yeah. is nothing. a year. Yeah, nothing. Yeah, so with like it's it's and that that part of the book was about how like what you said how uh it's good on money for servers. Oh yeah, and for servers that are like in at the right spot. Yeah, but like if you're not a part of that, um which you want to call that intersecting threshold. circles or that threshold, um, then it's probably not going to be that great for you. No. Well, I mean, even those people that do make the threshold, they're still being abused. They're yeah. still being like, even the people that make the good money. Yeah. yeah. No, again, I just, I, I'm, I'm sick of it. And I think people should be more conscious of that in the industry because people who are listening have worked at restaurants or mm-hmm. are currently working at one. And you don't realize like, Oh, there's, there is really no reason for me to, what what could the average person do do though, uh, rather than you know like having some stupid angry liberals on a podcast like tell them about it like this? You know what? Thank you, Juan. Today's yeah. uh, sponsor is uh, CBD gummies. <laughs> no, With promo code Protasis, you can take the edge off. That's right. <laughs> no, I think overall, uh, like what is what it? I did mean that like seriously. The more and more people talk about it, the more it's gonna come to light, and because. I would say 99% of the country is unaware that this is happening. They think when they go to a fancy restaurant, they're like, oh, I'm paying these crazy prices. Clearly, everybody's making good money. I'm tipping the waiter a big amount. Like, he's making good money. He's probably really happy working here. It's like, all of that is false. I think more and more people need to be aware of it and understand that these, these servers are held against their will to serve and they're not getting paid any money unless the dining I mean, I room is I guess their will is a little strong, but I get what you're saying. Well, no, I <laughs> should say, like, they're putting in $20 an hour work yeah. for $2 an hour. Yes. That hasn't okay. changed fair. since the 1950s. Very fair. And it's only... And you have to be good with the management so that they can schedule you on the busy shifts, which yeah. are Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Primetime shifts. Exactly, and... And then you get your locals, your your recurring customers, and yep. like, oh hey, wow. Yeah, so I think overall, for the people who maybe aren't aware that this is happening, is be way more conscious of the restaurants that you're going to. Don't just go to like a brand new place because they're brand new. Go to your holes in the wall that, you know, people work there, and are nice to you, like because they're the yeah, ones like that a want, neighborhood spot. Exactly, they're the ones that are gonna want you to. Um, come back every single time and also don't use third-party apps to order 
Um, don't use Grubhub, Uber Eats. Like, just call in or ask if they have self delivery. Or if you're in a, you know, if you're in a time crunch, like, ask them if they do uh, self delivery, and only use the third party apps when it when you truly can't, yeah, yeah make Dude, it. I had no clue that Grubhub was around since two thousand and four. What Holy the shit. fuck? Yeah, that was eye opening. They also. must have been around in like large metros and stuff. Yeah, and they don't have insurance when they're like, yeah, without the food. Like, yeah, what? there's like mm-hmm. there's a lot of those like. They use those uh, contracting uh, like regulations to skirt around other labor regulations, yeah. like yeah, like independent it, contractors. Yeah, and they use that yeah. independent contractor mm-hmm. title to like skirt around all these labor regulations. But they're all essentially mm-hmm. working for them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But let me play devil's advocate here, please. I was gonna say, let's hear Phil's. I I haven't told my my side though. Oh, oh yeah, please go ahead. No, I oh. mean. Like a few things that I thought were interesting were um, some of like how he explains how commercial real estate prices are like a huge hurdle for um, immigrant restaurateurs uh, who are like new to the country or um, I guess up and coming younger restaurateurs without a lot of access to capital because they can't afford, you know, downtown pricing anywhere. Uh, I thought that part was really interesting. Another part that I thought was really interesting was the monopolization aspect of it. How he talked about um, how like the CEO class, um, basically of the whole economy, um, has what's it called? Glorified Milton Friedman and his neoliberal like profit at all short-term costs, like profit for the shareholder class. Like, that's all that a business is supposed to be. You're not supposed to care about whether you pollute the local river. Like, that's not supposed to be a thing you, like, incorporate into your business math. You're just supposed to think, oh, how can I increase, like, the profits of my shareholders and and squeeze out as much as I can from the labor force? My fiduciary duties. Yeah, my fid- exactly. Fid- fiduciary, fiduciary uh, responsibilities. Exactly. And, and I love that he just, like, broke that shit down like a genius because that was a topic that we had talked about, like, way back when, uh, like, in the first, like, 10 episodes with while Jorge was here, uh, what, where we went into it. Where Say we talk- his name. Yeah, where we went into it and we talked about how um, I, I believed, you know, being the far lefty of the group, um, that the, the, yeah. uh, that Milton Friedman, and I gave him, I gave the same name, like, that we have been under this like neoliberal ideology when it comes to the business class that you're just supposed to squeeze out as much as you can from your labor class and essentially slide that over in the ledge to your C-suite managers or your shareholders. And, and that's the way that the natural business relationship is supposed to be. And I love that this guy like questioned that, you know, like that he had the guts to question it. Like, is it, is this the right way to go? Because if so, we're going to end up with, like, Yum! Brands and, like, McDonald's. Mm-hmm. Like, we're just yeah. going to end up with uh, more um, Olive Gardens, uh, what's it called, Red Robins, all these quick service uh, restaurants. Um, th- and that's that's kind of, like, the only people who can afford being downtown, too, you know? That's it's, what I was, yeah, yeah, I was just going to say. It's yeah. this whole, like, Quickly the- theory of everything. Like, Damn, we're so fucking I, smart. I, I, I love I, I, I love that. I heard that phrase earlier, like, this week, and I love, like, the way that it applied to this book because, like, that financialization, like, ideology applies to video games, to, like, the tech sector, Google, like, apps, you know, like the way you can't even repair your own John Deere tractor because John Deere is using independent 
um, patenting technology to say you have to bring it into the dealership or else you'll wreck it and we can sue you and you're a felon or some shit. Like, yeah, yeah. they can take your ass to court. They, yeah, they, like, went, they had a big legal case in England with iPhone about that, the right to repair. Exactly. So I just love mm-hmm. that that like monopolization is quite literally like the theory of everything. Like it touches mm-hmm. almost every aspect of your life and we don't even realize it. you kind of have to like peek under the blinders a little bit but once you do like you can't you kind of can't stop looking you, you can't um, you can't yeah. put the can of worms back together yeah. and the, the, to, to piggyback off what you were saying there uh prime time real estate right most of these big companies go up there and they buy it but then once they're in that like prime time of like the real estate like in these impoverished neighborhoods to get a franchise like back mcdonald's is like what the capital of sixty, eighty thousand dollars or something yeah, like that, right? That's a lot of money. And then yeah. once you even get like the franchise approved, like manager wise, like oh, like that's the advertisement, right? To work at the McDonald's. Oh wow, you could be a manager. You can go to Hamburger University. Yeah, which is a real thing. Yeah, no, I get what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Like one of the connections that I made to it, like I made a trip out to Chicago two and a half weeks ago, um, and we walked from Ogilvy to North Avenue Beach. Um, we well, actually we cut it in half um because we took it was an hour walk so we cut it in half but i'm basically what i wanted to get to was on my little 20 minute walk on one block i saw like three dunkin donuts like on one block and that's like the sort of shit that that Corey was describing like Mm -hmm. it's only these guys with like the huge piggy banks that can insane financial back that that can afford to to hang out in those downtowns now you know Mm -hmm. like you're i i saw a, a we saw one greek diner that looked like a mom and pop place and that's where we went to go eat um because everything else was like do you want caribou coffee do you want dunkin donuts like, that's, like it, yeah. that's that's what you're getting do you want pete's coffee like right just to add to your uh statement one thing that i thought was really interesting was that he specifically mentioned he being Corey was there's too many restaurants all open all at the same time yeah. And they're all thinning out the workforce. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, if you have all these restaurants open all at the same time, like you're talking about lunch, dinner and breakfast, who's going to work all these shifts? Like you can't have all the, all these where are all these people going to come from. And, and, and this is meeting quota, too. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Literally. And oh, they're going to have 10 percent in this, you know. Right. And then adding to uh, the CEO aspect that Juan was talking about, um, just couple minutes ago um they're forced to justify their salary by adding another dunkin donuts to the center of chicago like you know just merging companies endless growth yeah they're they're the ceos are like they're managing a sports team Mm -hmm. like and that uh wins to them is is measured by endless growth did you grow your company by two three four percent this quarter if not, like you're on the hot seat, buddy. Like that's essentially what it is. Like that's like you didn't have a good draft class or a good season. Like that's yeah. that's what it is. And and they treat them like very short term, you know. So like the ma- the managers or the sports managers, but really CEOs, are always in that like desperate short term thinking mentality. Oh, yep. like oh, I gotta expand. I gotta expand, and I gotta oh, like. Well, if I'm expanding now, but what if another pandemic comes or COVID-22 comes like mm-hmm. suddenly like your expansion doesn't look so good then. But because you're thinking short term and you're not thinking, oh, maybe we can put away some money for some resiliency. And in case like uh, supply chain shocks happen or things like that yeah, or like, hey, you know, this specific restaurant or in this location doesn't do well Monday through Thursday. But yeah, they're forced to abide 
by the same hours, by the same menu, throughout every single location all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So even if like no one orders the egg white scrambler at one of your locations and it's been untouched for a year, they have to keep it because Ooh. what is the what are the and they, they and imagine just all t- that waste exactly i yeah. was about to say it because what is the chances that one person is going to order it you have to abide yeah. by all the franchise uh, yeah. rules ahead of time exactly that's a great example it's more incentivized to be like looking at it quarterly like incentives and then like annually like you're yeah. saying they're like more short term more like there's no longevity anymore you know. Yeah. But they, it gets towards the end at the book with the Virtuoso restaurant where they do kind of like counteract that. Like, well, you know, these restaurants are doing a little bit better. Before we get to the end, what did you guys think about uh, uh, somewhere near the beginning, the virtual restaurants in China, how they talked about the ghost kitchens? Like oh, how like, how they essentially like said that this could very well be like the future. A yeah, a part of the future restaurant industry where it's like uh, basically to go or delivery only. To go only, yeah. And yeah. To specify, uh, to go into detail about what Juan is talking about, um, let's say Juan has a million dollars, and Phil and I are up and coming chefs. So we, Juan, Phil and I don't have the money to open up our own restaurant. So Juan comes to us and he goes, hey, you guys cook at this little shit place in a not so good neighborhood. What if I put you guys straight up downtown with my real estate, put you guys there. I'm going to teach you guys we want to cook these five things and you don't have to seat anyone at the restaurant. It's going to be all to go. And Phil and I are like, oh, shit. Well, we need money to keep the first restaurant alive. Let's pick up shifts here and so that's what's happening is these virtual restaurants are coming out of these mom and pop kitchens or these specific downtown areas where they can do a quick 15 to 20 minute deliveries and that's all it is no seating just order off the app and boom there you go literally it's just exploiting and making profit of their work yeah exactly. without any like growth to like they're like you know because it's all word of you know most of it's word of mouth now we have social yeah. media which is still kind of like a social word of mouth but now that's is all you know eliminated no China. yeah i personally i fucking dislike it i dislike it a lot they they mentioned uh taiga's bites which taiga the rapper yeah has chicken nuggets with a specific um focus on the dipping sauces and including mr beast burger like he, that's an entirely virtual restaurant yeah that you know he just is doing the same thing. I fucking hate it because the people cooking aren't making the money they deserve. And they're also just slaves to the apps. So I think overall, I don't like, and it's not the point of, Bro, they, they were presenting in a much more positive way, dog. I like, did. I, I personally, they were there. Like Corey was presenting it. And especially the restaurateurs who uh, he was talking to were saying mm-hmm. like, like, yeah, yo, like you, like, I guess you could not like it, but, this is the only way to like, keep restaurants profitable and like alive. Profitable, yes, but I personally dislike it. I understand what yeah. they're saying, but I dislike it entirely. Yeah. Profitable for like those people that we were talking about before, like the t- the threshold. Profitable get, for them, yeah, like the people that invest into the yeah. And I mean, like like we said earlier, like the the real estate prices are pushing them to like try shit like this. You know what I mean? They're not trying things like this because it seems so cool, and it's like the cutting edge of like how awesome you can make restaurants that's not necessarily what's pushing it there what's pushing it there is that they 
can't afford to have like so much space and to put tables in there Mm -hmm. like they need to prioritize the production Mm -hmm. space and then produce a lot and sell more yeah um but i mean i i thought it was interesting uh in that like it allows like micro businesses to Mm -hmm. thrive um for example i've seen like he talks about like uh gray market businesses uh, not not example exactly from the book, but something I had run into. Um, Dave Portnoy from Barstool Sports does pizza reviews uh, on YouTube Shorts. Does, yeah, one by pizza. Yeah, reviews. and he did this really cool one um, that was essentially what Corey was describing from Brooklyn. This like college student who literally just like roped down a box of pizza to you that he cooked in his own home, and like, in my opinion, like. I, as somebody who saw that like in Mexico there's something like very enriching about like street food culture and like I get the regulatory hurdles and that there should be like some safety aspects involved with it some but FDA I, yeah um, like it's at least some knowledge testing that you know like what to store things at and like how to sanitize things um, but I do think that we have gone too far in the way that like we make it really difficult for like up and coming like like some dude with a street cart you know what i mean like that that is almost un like it does not exist here um and and i think that like i don't know i i think that um that ghost kitchen thing can be a part of that but that can also be just hijacked by chuck e cheese that's what i'm saying taiga yeah um and rebranded to to hide you know yeah. the car reference you just made is, is, is brilliant because uh he talks about the um yogurt how like we like we don't use our senses anymore our five senses to like determine oh, yeah. what's bad and what's not good anymore we look at it, the expiration, expiration date, date of yogurt or cottage cheese mm-hmm. we're like fuck it we're throwing this away like same thing with the street car like we look at this guy like this guy doesn't have chairs this guy doesn't have a grill this guy doesn't have air conditioning or yeah. bruno mars playing in the lobby why mm-hmm. the fuck would i eat here yeah it looks unsanitary and, and everything else. Yeah, no, I can. I I know it's not mentioned in the book, but st- I think street food is definitely something that we are missing in this country, mm-hmm. as a whole. And you know, I'm glad that food trucks are prevailing the way that they are. But yeah. overall, you don't see. I mean, they're not even allowed in most cities. Yeah, exactly. It's just like, hurdles. The fact yeah. that they're not allowed is like extremely stupid. Like for a land of the free, you know, like yeah, like, and it's, it's kind of laughable. Yeah, and also like when they are allowed, it's like in a very specific location yeah. at specific times. So it's like, no, I kind of want to be able to just like grab a bite of something and be, you know. That like, seems classist to me. Yeah, like there's something about like there's like some. I know that that's almost. I mean, I can tell that Phil almost wants to laugh at that word, but that does feel like classist <laughs> to me. Like that does feel like rich people who are still controlling like the rulemaking in their mm-hmm. towns who are like oh like this is not posh enough for yeah. us like like how dare this street taco vendor like want to come to our lake geneva you know what i mean not saying lake geneva does do that but i that just, is exactly what they do the closest it, city. It, I, I can imagine them doing very much yeah that. they don't yeah. allow food trucks in lake geneva which i think is there stupid because so many people hang out downtown and yeah there's only so many restaurants yeah, no, and, I, and you fuckers allowed McDonald's and Culver's down there, like, yeah, well, like cut me a break. Exactly. Well, they get money from the city, from those companies for the city, so it's all payback, you know. Beautiful. Scratch my back, Beautiful. I scratch your back. What did As you, Corey told us. Yeah, for real though. <laughs> for real, those are the companies that can afford that real estate. Yeah, because they're fucking for massive real. I'm the main. Com- I'm yeah. the main. Uh, yeah. What about Phil? Do you have anything you want to talk about specifically? We haven't heard from your uh, conservative voice yet. Well, I want to 
me call myself for real tucker jr a little call call myself a conservative (laughs) but uh okay i mean but for real though before this book None of, I mean, we've all been in the restaurant industry and all this stuff, uh-huh. but we all have had great memories at like going out to eat with our friends, taking them out and showing them this mm-hmm. tomahawk steak or this special b- tomato bisque and whatnot. Was it so bad back then? Can we just go back to simpler oh, times? Oh, you're talking about now being aware of how much each restaurant sucks. Yeah, forget like, about it. Just it's, go it's back to ignorance. Go not, back to uh, right. Ignorance is bliss, is yeah. what you're saying. Not mm-hmm. knowing how the sausage is made. Honestly, I I love that he just speaks with his heart because, like, it just shows you, like, where conservatives are. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's just like, your problems, what are that? You just stick your head in the sand. Don't you like the fact that... Stick your head in the sand. You didn't know strawberries came from slave trades and tomatoes and... And Taco Bell is, like, very, like... Taco Bell is probably the worst... The worstly ran fucking restaurant. Wait, oh, Taco Bell? Yeah. Yeah. They're, like, a... Big slave, slave yeah, owner. They, They're slave owners essentially. They, well, and then also like the discrepancy and the uh, no discrepancy is not a good word. The difference in pay or no? I'm trying to think difference? of a specific word. Oh my Disastrous. god! Discrepancy might be a good word. Honestly. Uh, no, the um, how the restaurants would just leave it up to you. To be like we're we're doing our best, I guess. But if it happens not to be, then I guess it's not our fault because mm-hmm. we try to do our due diligence. And it's like, no, either you know exactly how you're getting your ingredients, yeah, and you're doing the best job that you can in order to make sure that all those ingredients are being, you know, culti- cultivated in a, in a humanely way, yeah. or you're not doing anything at all. Yeah. Yeah. I the, think the, the I'll, I'll go ahead and play devil's advocate there, though. I'll take your bait there. I like I don't think um, I don't think that such a giant portion of the responsibility falls on the restaurant owners. I think that a lot of restaurant owners are honestly just living life and just swimming and hoping not to drown. And like it's kind of hard for them to uh, be up to date on a lot of these subjects. So I blame regulators and people that like I blame regulators, lobbyists. I blame like uh, voters like us who are unaware, but may or may not make like that much of a fuss to our uh, lawmakers. But I still think I think if it's like, hey, a pound of beef is going to be three dollars or you can get an organic pound of beef for six dollars every I would say 90% of the restaurant owners are going to go for the $3 one because it's cheaper in order to try to make more profit. But I think overall you have to do what you think is right and be like, it's going to be $6 and I have to raise the Homie, but you saw at the end of the book that the virtuous restaurants hardly ever lived. Yeah. No, like, and he, he was basically arguing the same thing I, I am right now that like, it's almost unfair for those people to try to do those things Right. when you have this other part of the economy and he tried and he said it, he put numbers to it that 5%, um, tries to be conscious, uh, Mm -hmm. when buying their food. I believe that that had to do with people, not restaurants, Yeah. but that could still apply. You know, like if only 5%, now imagine if that applies to restaurants if only five percent try to be conscious they're at a competition disadvantage they're literally just yeah. writing a suicide note saying like all right close us in one year because we're not going to be able to make money yeah. and stay alive i do think that was interesting because the question was asked is it possible to do well and do good at the same time 
Like, is it possible to have a successful restaurant while also being labor and food conscious? And like Juan said, most of the time it's not, but I think you have to, you have to do the best that you can. Yeah. Like if, if, okay, maybe we're not going to go after, ev- make sure every piece of meat and every piece of food is going to be organic. And, you know, we know the farmer by first name, but at least do the best you can within your means. Yeah. And, and be conscious as a, a restaurant enthusiast to be like, you know. Yeah, like but, I agree with that point. Like I, I think that we as the restaurant enthusiasts low-key are kind of like driving restaurant trends. So if yeah. we like ask mm-hmm. our restaurant on tour like certain questions like, hey, what is the source of this particular protein? What is the source of this shrimp? Yeah. Does this shrimp come from slave labor in Southeast Asia? Like, mm-hmm. yes, no, it's okay. Then I'll have it. But you know, like the questions like that, I think, you know, like we all have to ask. Yeah, more. we all. Yeah, we all have to become like m- more conscious consumers and, you know, pushing the market to be more conscious. You know, like the issue with that, though, is like most of these small mom and pops companies that do start off like in these little local divers look at subway it started off as pino subs up in new york got super big and then became subway and then it offered like water uh the difference between mcdonald's and in and out burger mcdonald's choose mcdonald's used to be like the small little subways right the small little like mom and dad local pop shop only drive through no dine-in until like way later right and then they've franchised out and now they're like all in these big cities barely like livable in and out Burger, mostly in the California area, popular. Demand. That's what it is. So you either, A, stay small, or you wait until you become big enough to be bought out. Right. Like, there was the, the story of the two friends uh, in the very last chapter who had a great idea of a, uh, I think it was like street Chinese restaurant was their idea. And they were super successful. And instead of, they even said, it like, if we just kept our mouth shut, we would be billionaires by now, but because yeah. they were so food and labor conscious, they are now in like hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt because they were trying to do the best moral conscious thing possible. And yeah. yeah, I think you're right. I think Juan said it perfectly, which as a restaurant enthusiast, you have to ask the questions and we have to be like the drivers of that, that trend. We have to be like the wind in that sail, you know, like, and force these restaurant yeah. owners and servers and everybody to be conscious to be like, where is our chicken from? Like, are we just bringing in frozen chick every week? Or is this from a humane farm that isn't honestly the, the, the condition that most what, what like fucks with me is slavery. I, I kind of want my, my, uh, food um, supply chain to be slavery free in America. I, I is that too much to ask yeah, for? Is that too much to ask for? <laughs> is that so crazy? <laughs> yeah, good luck. Yeah, it's like Abe Lincoln would not be proud of it right now. Bro, tomato like and to think like tomatoes was like the big the big thing behind slavery. Yeah, like in tomatoes, Florida? and yeah. you know, fucking shrimp. I have shrimp in my fridge right now. Oh, I love shrimp. We, you guys ate shrimp right before we started the podcast, and it's like, oh, and I enjoyed every second knowing that it was picked by undocumented hands. Dude, they were Southeast Asian uh, we're slaves. Actually, yeah, some sweet hands in there. Yeah, it's just fucking crazy to think. Like it's 2022, and like we're still dealing with this. Yeah, Th- those are just two subjects that they covered in the book. But you go down south of the border, avocados, literally, like the cartel, oh. or, like going down there and gro- taking uh, what's the word? extortion yeah 
you know, making these people work for them at that point. Serfdom, essentially. Yeah. They were like, you got to pay yeah. the the young warlord, <laughs> like your cut of the crops. And, uh, you know, I love the fact that you guys are going to be more ethical going forward, asking where this comes from, Westgate, but the workers. I'm going to stay doing what I've been doing, asking for more barbecue sauce on the side, asking for more appetizers to Dem- come out. Demanding why they don't have ranch. May I have some I, insulin with that. Yeah. <laughs> demanding why they don't have ranch at this specific restaurant. Uh, yeah, l- that's a great question, Phil. What are you going to do going forward after reading this book? Will any of your attitudes change? Or will you double down on your current behavior? I think Corey makes me want to double down. <laughs> well, Corey himself, I told you. Well, no, definitely the thing that I do definitely will take a uh, different look from this yeah. is the trendy food topics. Because now that I'm aware that, like, it's all a bunch of bullshit. It's all bullshit, all algorithms, all driven, manipulated. They're like, oh, like, this is what they want you to do. As soon as I start thinking people want me to do something, I do the opposite. Yeah, I guess we should talk about that because we're part of that cause. Yeah, you're well. part of the we're we're part of the ecosystem. We're part of that problem because we are getting into that food and cocktail. Yeah, slavery. But, but I mean, there's a way to do it. We are not getting into there's food. a there's a way to to do it Be, with with you know like. A dish can look good and also taste good yeah. without it being all about the looks. Yeah, and mm-hmm. most of the stuff we make are like classic recipes. Yeah, the cocktail, yeah. every single cocktail we made, not one of them was bad. Yeah. Every single one looked good and also tasted good. The shot to the brain may have been my best one. That was a cocktail that A, looked like shit and B, tasted like shit. <laughs> <laughs> that is, That was literally one of the worst things I've ever tasted in my life. It was half gin, half vodka, and a, again, a splash of ginger ale. And What did that even taste like? Canada dry. Very dry. Like every X just dumped you at the same time. And you, you need to forget about it. It was like, it, it made me look at Phil in the eyes. I'm like, oh, you're hurt. <laughs> you're hurting right now. You are hurt and you're hurting. And you need to just forget about everything. Hurt l- people hurt people, Phil. <laughs> There's an episode of The Simpsons where Marge plans Homer a uh, surprise birthday party. And in order for Homer to still enjoy it, he makes Mo make him a cocktail in order to forget the last 24 hours. So he spends the next 24 hours rekindling his steps. And you're just, that is what that tasted like. Like, you needed to forget your last 25 That sounded like my weekend that two shot, weekends ago. Guys, guys, that sounded like a shot to the brain. <laughs> hey. It was a horrendous. But, yeah, no, I mean, I, I, every time I cook, I try to de- definitely make it look appealing and also taste great. I don't want to make some bullshit that's, oh, this would be cool to take a picture of. Yeah. And it's like, no. Yeah, but honestly, can, can we blame them, though? Like, restaurants are... <laughs> makes so yeah forced to like adapt to the social media age Mm -hmm. so if they design one dish that's like meant to look good on instagram on a menu that's like 15 options long like or look at our outdoor patio you can dine with these nice that's true that's true yeah or like i feel like restaurants are more conscious of like oh let's put up something that's trendy or like hashtag on the wall so that people are like oh i can take a picture here yeah, Wendy's looking at you, you son of a bitch. Do you like Wendy's? Well, uh, when these nuts touch your mouth. Ooh, I like the social media game. <laughs> well, that's just one person on Twitter. I don't know if that's necessarily Wendy's the restaurant. 
But that's the social media aspect that we're talking about, though. I guess, yeah. If more, you know what? Maybe if more restaurants were like shit like posters, Wendy's. <laughs> 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 tweeting out, "Let's go, Brandon." <laughs> What'd you guys think Man about? My Let's make pancakes great again. Yeah. <laughs> What'd you guys think about uh, when he talked about like the ghettoization of ethnic food? How um, Americans, or not even just Americans, but a lot of like industrial countries like refuse to pay um, higher prices for oh. uh, ethnic dishes that are mm, yeah, like just as complex, if not more complex than right. lemon beurre blanc chicken sauce. No, exactly. Motherfucker, you were saying a couple of weeks ago or a week ago uh, <laughs> about so mole. Gr- Sorry. so aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, though. No, no, he's right, though. But Motherfucker, you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Motherfucker. On, on Abel's episode, we did talk about mole specifically and how a lot yeah. of these now dishes which are just as complex if not more complex yeah. because they have regional spices um that have to be all added at a specific time and that people f- justify different foods at different prices i thought that was so interesting because it's so true it, it is it, true it doesn't have the same cachet as like a french cheese fondue, yeah. even though it's the same like tech tech what's the word i'm looking for te- technical? technically technically yeah, yeah. Tenacity is not the right word, but like the tech- even no, it, even though it's just as like challenging technically, right? Yeah, exactly. that was that group that Jack yeah. Black was part of. Uh, but please go ahead. <laughs> no, but I I just thought that 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 was a a great point, like how. But you know, um, like for example, I would love to try like a higher end version of Chinese food, like Chinese food or like Chinese society is five thousand years old. Like mm-hmm. I say that all the time. Like I have heard you say that all the time. How like I'm fascinated by that. that you like, say it before every podcast, and I'm almost, like, almost, almost every again. time, almost every time. Can you play the CPC song again? Yeah, let's go. Any, <laughs> anyways, um, but yeah, I there, there's just like oh, I also have that sort of, same sort of respect for like Indian cuisine. Like mm, I would yeah. love to see like higher end versions of those that like Americans are like curious about, and they're like eager to want to go visit you you know know what what i mean there are definitely two points that i want to add to what you just said the first one is i think the same people from that wherever that region or country is i think they are also part of the problem on why it's not bigger now we're agreeing on something good point because these fucking (laughs) trumpet playing bastards no (laughs) i think that read or riding (laughs) tequila sipping if you just turned your music down, maybe you would hear the teacher talking. They think they got all the dance moves. Why did they well, let, come in a caravan? Let me tell you here, Felipe. Breathing all the white man's air. Can't they just get into a giant conga line? Did we, we just start a rally? Uh, <laughs> no, I think I part of it is, is definitely our fault also because they'll have a nice Mexican restaurant and you'll take you know people who are not the most savvy in dining, but who are familiar with Mexican food. And they'll allow like, me. And yes. they'll be like, Oh, I'm paying $7 for two tacos when I can, you know, it's, it's a it's dollar a do- yeah. at, at my cousin's place. And it's like, well, yeah, because this is better and it's different. And you should accept that food can change when using better ingredients. And like Juan said, like would a finer version of, mexican indian chinese food which are you know considered a little bit cheaper in this country would those like i think you don't necessarily need a better finer version of those i think just understanding that oh this taco 
is justifiable yeah. at seven dollars. Well, I was just saying like a finer version because like like China One and like those sort of style of quick service like Chinese restaurants are like mm-hmm. catered towards like a more like fast food style of taste and also American taste. Yeah, and an American taste where it's very sweet, very like uh, fried. You yeah. know, a lot of times. I um, but, uh, yeah, so I would love to try, like, I don't know, some random hot pot dish, mm-hmm. you know? I've never tried hot pot. I, I, like, I've seen it, like, on social media, and it looks incredible. Like, yeah. I would love to try that shit, you That's know? A like, good point. dim sum, you know, like, things like that. Mm-hmm. Like, there's thousands of years of, of, like, techniques and culture in both Chinese and Indian cuisine, like... To have it elevated, you know, like wouldn't it, it shouldn't be a stretch, but it, it, it kind of is like the fact that I have to like pitch a crowd, you know, like it, it kind of proves my point, you know, like you don't mm-hmm. have to prove or pitch. Oh, well, like I have the hottest uh, chef out of France. Uh, he wants to open like a five star restaurant here in New York. There like, is you'll, no, you'll yeah. have like a hundred Wall Street motherfuckers like sign me up, you know. Like there is no reason for a chicken parmesan to cost twenty dollars and a to- and a torta to cost seven. Yeah, because arguably the torta is using freshly soft bread with, you know, breaded chicken yeah. and all these like fresh tomatoes, lettuce, and then still give you a side of fucking rice and beans, mm-hmm. which easily should be twenty dollars. Some waka salsa. So I. And Ooh. it's just, why is that not $20, but the chicken parmesan is? Because pasta is fucking cheap. And, yeah. and chicken, you're using chicken on both dishes. And the sauce, the waka salsa, using fresh avocados and fresh peppers, that should be more expensive yeah. than fucking tomatoes blended with garlic. and Served heated. over like 10 ounces of pasta. Exactly. That, that costs like, like a dollar. Exactly. I completely agree. And then they charge you $20, $23 for yeah. like some white Alfredo. And then they, you know what? One thing that I definitely want to end on, and I'm glad that we started talking about this. Burn all Italian restaurants? To the fucking ground. <laughs> Italian food is so overrated. It'd be so easy. It'd be a grease fire. No, what did you want to finish on? Those? I do want to finish on this tipping because mm. TikTok has had a trend lately on like, yo, somebody robbed me. And they literally pulled out a tablet saying, "All right, do you want to leave a twenty percent tip?" Like it's this what? whole it's this whole meme culture now. Oh, okay. That's <laughs> like, should you tip out the person handing you their coffee when they put in no effort to make that coffee for you? Corey talked about. Do you guys remember it? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like that's something I want to end yeah. on. Is like, and it also makes sense that in today's climate, like specifically over the last couple of weeks, tipping culture is like way more there's way more awareness for it yeah and like should certain jobs get tipped or certain jobs not get tipped like why is the front of the house making so much money when the back of the house is putting in twice as much work yeah uh, do we change tipping the three of us a communist a liberal and a conservative in in one room how do we fix tipping how slaves do we, fix it? we get more slaves no, we want to avoid that. Oh, my bad, my bad, my bad. <laughs> That's, That's what we want to steer away from. <laughs> that was a meeting I had last week. My bad, folks. My bad, folks. Yeah, I think the rally starts at 8.30, so you got another 15 minutes. No, but, I mean, we got to be more conscious, like uh, my liberal friend was going to hear say, and like my communist friend's going to say, we got to yeah. end the patriarchy. Uh, one, one, one dollar at a time. <laughs> one dollar at a time. Uh, Juan, what do you think about tipping? Should people be tipped? Should every fucking transaction require a tip? What the the part that I found like interesting about this subject that you're mentioning is how Corey mentions in the book that 
a lot of this new tipping culture that is popping up out of nowhere is coming out of um, essentially loose labor regulations and the sub-minimum wage. And all these businesses are thinking essentially, well, if restaurants are paying like un- like $2 an hour plus tips, why can't we? So essentially that's what's happening, Luis. Like a lot, instead of uh, restaurant culture um, improving and it being like a symbol of improving labor culture, it's literally spreading like a fucking virus, dog. And other uh, cafe shops, baristas are copying restaurants. And they're like, well, if they get to pay $2 an hour, we do too. So now you have like your local barista will get paid like the sub minimum wage plus tips. So by all means, like if that comes up at wherever you go, like ask them, do you get paid a or like be nice about it? Yes. Right. Be tactful. Be like, hey, um, is this on top of your wage? Or is this like the majority of your? I wage, think that's perhaps? so interesting because um, A Rod and I went to Target and we were going to grab a Starbucks before we did our shopping, and I, just instinctively I took out cash out of my wallet and I was like, "Oh, I don't see your tip jar." And she goes, "Oh no, because we're a Target employee who works at Starbucks, we're not allowed to take tips." And but but then she said, "But we get paid more per hour." I'm yeah. Like, oh shit. So like I I have to make sure that. When I do go to just a regular Starbucks, like I am tipping those assholes out because otherwise they are not getting paid. Like you're saying, yeah, they're, they're oh, a yeah, lot of a, higher wage. Exactly, yeah. it's like a fucking virus, dude. That sub minimum wage is like spreading into other parts of the economy. Your local uh, ice cream shop guy, like he probably uh, has to go through something like that, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, that's yeah. No, you're right. It is spreading like a wildfire, and it's ultimately like they took the worst part of a restaurant, which is yeah. pay your workers nothing and hope that other people are paying them in order to justify the fact that you're paying them under minimum wage so that you don't have to pay them out of your pocket. So they're just, it's brilliant. Yeah, no, I think, no, I I think you said it perfectly. Just ask, be like, Hey, I'm, I want to tip you. I just want to make sure that the money I'm, yeah is that going to you or do you guys have to spread it? And it's not that like once he tells you, Oh, well it's, you know, like it, it makes up for the, the wage. Like they're Mm not, I get paid sub minimum wage. Well, you know, tip the guy, yeah. but then, you know, maybe don't go back there, you know, like yeah. maybe like, like take your business somewhere else, vote with your dollars sort of thing, you know, yeah. go like, find a different job. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, that's awesome. Um, anything we, uh, we want to end on any notes that you want to tell the listeners before we, uh, we skedaddle here. I, I just want to say, I recommend this book. Like I recommend this book, uh, for anybody who cares about like labor laws specifically about like. Uh, the current economy, like from this angle, like the service industry angle, um, I think it's uh, an eye-opening uh, book. And it's also like, uh, in a way, almost like in a podcast format where you can be tuned in and active listening. But he's dropping so many facts and so many stories that even if you zone out for one story, you're probably going to catch like the next five and just like today, like all of these are like stories that we heard on the book, mm. or like little factoids. Um, yeah, but like these guys, both of you brought up like things that I probably missed that I like probably zoned out. And <laughs> I'm sure vice versa. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then yeah. Like, you zo- like you said, you zone out for a little bit and then like, oh, these two brothers started a family or started a, a business together. And then like you zone out for a little bit like and then they sold everything and they lost everything. Yeah. Like, oh, what the fuck happened? What? Yeah. And they're yeah. all real stories. This is all like, you know. So even though like Luis said, it's not necessarily the easiest listen, but like I, I almost kind of like 
binged it like a podcast series you know like some podcast series like are slightly more educational and that's kind of mm-hmm. what this is like like i would i definitely think for anybody out there it's it's worth the audible credit if you have a chance to get it from your library or um audible version of from your library it's also very much worth it highly recommend it or if you got win winrar torrent torrent that shit hell yeah brother limewire limewire <laughs> yeah uh i got this book at my library for free I was able to rent it for a couple of weeks and I had to re-rent it because, you know, I went on vacation, so I wasn't able to finish it. The communist would. <laughs> <laughs> well, my, if my fucking tax dollars are going towards it. Uh, but no, like like Juan said, it's not an easy read. But if you are curious about the restaurant industry, I want to be a more conscious restaurant diner. Definitely check it out because it's 100 percent worth it. And overall, you know, it, it made you it made, I, it made me very aware of stuff that even though I'm already a pretty conscious diner, to just like ask more questions mm-hmm. um i couldn't say it better myself totally right agree there. yeah agree with that boys sentiment. uh i hope you guys have a great week thank you you as well thank you uh, i hope everybody listening is having a great week and it has oh, an even man. better week oh, dude bro taste this gang gang <laughs> gang bro the btt dude. gang bro taste this nation that's what's up dude they're the best hey yeah. and look out shout out to our fans we're gonna be coming up with a video here yeah we that's are gonna right. come up yeah. with video very soon we got the we got the studio finally I know we've been promising that for a little bit. We also are going to start a new series called Bro on the Go, where Mm, we do some activities out in the wild. And I think for one of the first activities, uh, the rub and tug, I want to take (laughs) I want to take you fat pigs on a workout with me. (laughs) Tucker Carlson style. Exactly. Just have you guys work out with me and just milk cows. Exactly. Well, no, no, (laughs) a, a true legitimate workout. Uh, So keep an eye out for all that. Like, share, subscribe. And everybody, thank you so much for listening. We'll see you all next week.